0: Welcome to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. This week's message takes a new look at 2 Samuel 11, the story of David and Bathsheba. So we're going to turn to the word of the Lord this morning, and uh, I have a question. My question is simply this. What are you looking at? No, like right now, what are you looking at? Are you looking at your phone? Are you looking at the person next to you? Are you looking at me? Are you Are looking at my shoes? They're pretty fancy, right? What, are, what is it that you're looking at? How about now? Like if it goes dark, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the light like the rest of us? Or are you looking somewhere else? Where we look matters. The things that we look at and the things that we pay attention to Matter. It's necessary that we have our attention on things. This morning, we're going to continue in our series called Pursuing God's Heart. And over the course of the summer, we have been uh, looking at the life of David and Saul and people like that. And the thing that I'm convinced of as we've been pursuing God's heart is this, what we look at matters. Last week, uh, my friend uh, Sam Ashmore, who's the, uh, a member of Center Point Church and the Dort University campus pastor, was on this stage. And, and Sam helped us see that David's rise to power was all God's doing. Sam showed us that God replaced David's plan with God's promise. And throughout our series, we've used several words, words like integrity, Anointing, security, and intimacy to, to describe God's relationship, not just with Saul and David, but also with Saul and David's relationship to one another. We've also used words like intimacy, grief, and promise as a means of pursuing God's heart ourselves. See, I believe that words matter, and, and this morning I have four words for you, not three, but four words for you that I think that matters. And, and my hope is that you will look and listen for these words in our text today. The words are these, attention, apathy, alignment, and avoidance. What we look at and, and who we look to matters, because everything else deviates from there. It, everything it hinges on where it is that we focus our attention. If, if our attention isn't on the things that they should be, or if our attention isn't where it should be, apathy quickly follows. If we lose attention to the things that matter, our alignment suffers and if we lose attention to our beliefs and our values we avoid the truth and everything starts to fall apart we avoid the truth things get messy and and they spiral out of control and and then we have a mess to deal with and if we're honest we don't want to deal with the mess kind of like our text today I mean, on one hand, I feel like I need to apologize. If you're visiting for the first time or or if if you're in fall camp and and you're an athlete, the last thing you might want to hear of is the story of David and Bathsheba. But that's what you walked into today. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I mean, you're jumping in on the, the tail end of a series. So that seems somehow unfair. But you also get David and Bathsheba. And I don't know what your church background is. But the reality is this, you've likely heard of David and Bathsheba. Am I right? So, so that's the one hand, I'm sorry about this. But on the other hand, this is also true. I believe that there's something that God has for us today in this text. I mean, there's, there's something that we need to direct our attention to. So sorry, not Sorry. The the God who is nearer to us than we are to ourselves, as St. Augustine once said, the God who is nearer to us than we are to ourselves is also worthy of our attention. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles or your preferred electronic device to 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you don't want to do that, the words will be shown on the screen. And as we dive into the text, I invite you to pray with me. So let's do that. Will you pray? Father, would your word be our rule? Holy Spirit, would you teach us, and may the glory of Jesus be our single concern. Amen. So friends, I invite you to hear these words from the book that we love in 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Revah, But David remained in Jerusalem. I want to push pause as my cap falls to the floor. I want to hang on here for just a minute or two because there's more that we're going to say and a, and a lot more is going to happen in this text. But the rest of the chapter hinges on those five words. But David remained in Jerusalem. Since becoming king and and receiving God's promise, David has defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Amalekites. He's been out wreaking havoc. This is what kings do. In the spring of the year, when it gets nice out, they lead their men into battle, and then they return home with their men and all of the spoils of war. They don't stay home and send off people to do their work for them. They get into action. This is the act of a coward and not a king. And it has me thinking this morning. You know, we don't read in the text that God had taken his spirit from David like he had done to Saul. So where's David's head here? Is David aware of all the ways in which God has been with him and delivered him? Has he been going through the motions, or is he paying attention? It's attention, there's one of those words. To to pay attention is to pay special care to someone or something. I wonder if David recalls who deserves the credit for all of these victories. I mean, he lived long enough to survive all of Saul's murderous attempts, because of God's activity in his life. He he was anointed to be king and is finally king because of God's activity in his life. And, And he wins all of the battles. He did all the things because the Lord was with him. And I wonder, has David been paying attention? Or rather, where is David's attention? Granted, human beings are interesting creatures, and the brain is a complex thing. You are interesting creatures, and your brains are complex things. And if that's true, then it seems like we should dive in a little bit and and dig in and understand, because while everything David's done to this point has been up and to the right, he makes a head-scratching decision, and I find that fascinating— In order to understand why people do the things they do, we need to dig in. Dr. Amishi Jha is a professor of psychology at the University of Miami. And she says this, in order to remember something, you have to have paid attention to it. You won't hold anything in your memory unless you were attending to it as it was occurring. Like my experience yesterday, my wife and I were driving through Sheldon and I had this experience. I was thinking about this message and and then all of a sudden I said, boy, I didn't know that Fairway was open on Sundays. (laughs) And she's like, well, we just were talking about your sermon. How did it go? Because it's Saturday. That's funny. And and she helped me understand that. And and then she made a similar mistake a little later. So I didn't feel quite so bad about my growing memory problems. We all have attention deficits on occasion, right? But, But was David so busy pummeling kingdoms and taking names that he wasn't paying attention at all? I wonder if he attended to the things of God at at any place along his journey, or was he simply operating on autopilot, simply performing tasks? The scriptures don't tell us why David remained home and sent his men out to battle. So we're left to make our own meaning. And so some theologians have, have said this. Uh, some believe that David may have stayed back because uh, they were going to be staging a siege. It was going to be this long, drawn-out war, and it would take place over an extended period of time, and he couldn't afford to be gone that long. This is one theory. It's one theory that's worth entertaining. Another theory is this, that David may have regarded the army's mission is not significant enough or difficult enough or high priority enough to require his presence. I mean, both are worth entertaining, I suppose. But I wonder, I wonder if David's decision and all of the decisions that are going to follow happen because of apathy. You see, God is nearer to David than his own breath, but David believe, does David believe in his own heart that because he's a near peer to God that he doesn't have to take responsibility for his actions anymore? Friends, apathy is simply this, it's, it's when you lack motivation to do anything or when you just don't care about what it is that's going on around you. The term comes from the Greek word pathos and it means passion or emotion. Have you ever felt apathetic? When we are apathetic, things that used to keep our attention don't anymore. We lose passion for what we were responsible for and we don't do the right thing. And that then leads us to this thing that we know as sin. Want a little proof? I'll show you some proof here. Look at this in in verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> that David and his men are out fighting battles? I mean, they're, they're sleeping in tents with one eye open, likely concerned for their lives, but David, David is comfy and cozy at home how the mighty has fallen. The scriptures don't tell us what has happened here. They, the scripture does tell us that David is a, man's after, is a man after God's own heart, but if he's pursuing God's heart, what is he looking at? He, he seems to have forgotten everything that God has done for him. I mean, I read these three verses and, and wonder what happened. Because even if it's only apathy, the result is still startling. Am I right? Does, does David have a memory problem? Or is something else going on here? Does David have a memory problem or is something else going on? As I sat with that this week, Dr. Jha helped unlock something for me. She said this, oftentimes what we think of as a memory problem is actually an attention problem. When we focus on a particular thing, we get neurally crystal clear information and high integrity information regarding the thing we are paying attention to. And and what we see and understand about the thing we are focusing on is of greater and higher quality. Let me explain. Like when you look at this flashlight in a darkened room. Something happens, our attention goes off of where it was, and, and then if we're in a darkened room, and, and, the, and I'm shining my light here, and then all of a sudden we hear something over there, my flashlight's going to snap this way, and then it snaps over here when the sound is over here, and, and we're back and forth, and our attention is all over the place. We don't even know if it's Saturday or Sunday. What we look at matters. What we pay attention to matters. Because if we aren't paying to the right attention to the right things, if we aren't paying attention to the things of God, apathy takes over and we make dreadful decision after dreadful decision over and over and over again. One sin leads to another and to another and to another. Don't miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 5. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. David receives this news, and he doesn't even bat an eye. He, he simply throws his integrity out the window. He seemingly doesn't care. Re, re, do you remember, friends, of you've been here, and if you haven't, go back and read 1 Samuel. But do you remember the times when, when Saul had been delivered into David's hands, and, and how David declared that he would not lay a hand on the head of the Lord's anointed You see, David, the focus for David has seemingly disappeared. And David plays it off like he wants some kind of a report from the war. And he asks Uriah this series of questions. And and the text doesn't tell us what Uriah thinks of David's line of questioning. But when David tells Uriah, go down to your house wash your feet, which is Old Testament for go ahead and go home and have sex with your wife, we get a window into Uriah's soul. While David wants to put the blame for Bathsheba's pregnancy and his sin on Uriah, Uriah is true to his convictions. And we see a contradiction in alignment between these two. Alignment is simply this, when we consistently live our lives based on our beliefs and values. When we are in alignment, we consistently live there. We live our lives based on our beliefs and our values. And as you've been listening and as you continue to listen, I wonder who is living based on their beliefs and values and who is not. Listen a little more to to what's happening here? Verse 9. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he asked Uriah, Haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat? And drink and make love to my wife. As surely as you live, I won't do such a thing. Boom, roasted, right? I mean, Uriah is clear about his beliefs. And he makes decisions in alignment with who he is. And our boy David, not so much. He keeps on sinning. Listen, verse 12. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, that David's invitation, he ate and drank and with him, and, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He didn't go home. And do you, do you feel it like I feel it? There's a little bit of, at first you don't succeed. Try, try again going on here with David. Are these David's beliefs and values? David seems to be a long way from the man of integrity who wouldn't kill Saul. Maybe David never attended what God had done for him. Maybe he's forgotten. I don't know. But, but he loses attention to the things of God. And David seems to have become apathetic and out of alignment, which is a great divergence from how we've seen him act all the times previously. For the first time, really, we see David out of character. He's fledgling and spiraling in a pattern of avoidance. Avoidance, here's a fancy definition for you. Avoidance is when we spend time and energy Zigzagging our way around the thing that is already consuming us. David has sinned and he knows it. He, he keeps on sinning because he doesn't want to be found out. Has this ever happened to you? Have you been so racked with guilt over your sin that you've worked tirelessly to avoid the consequences by covering up what you've done? Yeah? Me too. Because sin does some crazy stuff to us, which we often couch in fear. But, it, but in the book, The Dance of Fear, Harriet Lerner writes this. It's not fear that stops you from doing the brave and true thing in your daily life. Rather, the problem is avoidance. You want to feel comfortable, so you avoid doing or saying the thing that will evoke fear and other difficult emotions. Avoidance will make you feel less vulnerable in the short run, but it will never make you feel less afraid. I said avoidance will make you feel less vulnerable in the short run. But it will never make you feel less afraid. Look for the way that you see avoidance in the rest of the verses that follow. Because rather than admitting he's guilty of the original sin, all the way back in the first verse of this chapter, David avoids admitting the thing that will evoke difficult emotions and the hits just keep on coming. Verse 14, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. (laughs) Attention, apathy, alignment, and avoidance, these all feel like ways of describing David's behavior, but I need to say this, there is nothing that, Makes me understand this. There is no understanding it. There's no comprehending what's going on here. I mean, he is adding to the list of the commandments he's broken. The ones about adultery and coveting, to name just a couple. Verse 16. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the many when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech? Son of Jerobesheth, didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Tebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. It's really hard to read, isn't it? The avoidance, the misalignment, the apathy... The lack of attention to, to the Lord, not only have David violating Bathsheba, but now he's violating himself and the messenger and his faithful servant, Joab, too. He's done all the things. The messenger set out in verse 22. And when he arrived, he told David everything Joab sent him to say. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead. David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the enemy and destroy it. Say this to Joab. David doubles down on the deception. And and I wonder, what is the impact of all of this? What is the impact of these decisions on Joab, on Bathsheba, and and on David himself? I wonder, what is the impact? Sadly, the, the chapter ends this way. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The thing? Really? The thing David had done? Or, or maybe it should have been plural. I mean, I think the author made a mistake. The things David had done displeased the Lord. But thanks be to God that this is not the end of the story. The scriptures don't end here. God separates it out, the sin and the sinner, that is, that is. And and as we pursue God's heart, the place that we shine the flashlight matters. What do you, friends, pay attention to? Who are you paying attention to? Because if we're not paying attention to the right things, apathy, misalignment, and avoidance all wreak havoc. Dort football players, I have you in particular in mind today I wonder are you making any application does this apply to you as you listen are you making connections I mean as fall camp ramps up I know you just got started man I miss fall camp I couldn't do it anymore but I miss fall camp I mean what are you looking at Because camp can get long, right? You grow tired, the monotony sets in, and your attention begins to wane. And as your attention begins to wane, the tendency to grow apathetic accelerates, and you find yourself out of alignment, which might not be too big of a deal until your teammate gets drilled, or worse, if he's not paying attention, and you do. Then what happens? Rather than taking responsibility for our mistakes, we may enter avoidance mode during a position meeting or a film session, and then bad habits are formed, and you aren't who or how you want to be. In order to excel on the football field, you must pay attention to a lot of things on every single play, and the most important thing that you should be paying attention to is yourself. Coach Penner has told me that his desire for you is that you would play for an audience of one. No matter if you win or lose it all the time, the desire is that you play for an audience of one. And when you find your attention waning, I invite you to ask yourself, what am I doing and who am I doing it for? Who is the one I'm playing for, and, and who is it that I'm paying attention to? Because if your attention is not where it should be, your team will not be all it can be. So I wonder, all y'all, what are you looking at? Because as camp cranks back up tomorrow, I wonder what you will be looking at. In church, sorry, you're not off the hook. Center Point Church. The same question applies to you we say that jesus is the center and the point of everything we do are you paying attention what are you looking at are we so busy living our lives that we aren't paying attention to the one who gave us life are we so busy going through the motions that we've lost e-motion passion and purpose, that we've, and, and so we've become apathetic? Are we so apathetic that our lives and our decisions are out of alignment with who God has created and called us to be? When he was in the throes of the mess he had made, David wrote Psalm 51. I wonder if his words might be a way forward for us. Here are some of the verses from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice, or or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, will not despise. Listen, the Lord was displeased with the things that David had done. And it's true, it's also true that the Lord does not despise us. Ever. The Lord does not despise that which he has created, particularly when we have a broken and contrite heart over our sin. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, friends. The, the Lord is gracious and compassionate enough to have sent our Savior into the world. Jesus Christ has come into the world, and it was Jesus Who met a woman at a well Jesus knew who the woman was and Jesus knew what she had done he knew she didn't have a husband and in fact that she had had many husbands and Jesus knew what the teachers of the law had done the people who were there to stone her and Jesus was really honest with them and he named it let he who is without sin cast the first stone And they all dropped their stones, and they walked away. Then Jesus restored the woman, saying, go and sin no more. Y'all, the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to enable you to be free of your sin. Now, these particular sins, the ones that we're talking about as it relates to David, they may not be your sin issue, but you have A sin issue? What is it? And what or who are you going to to deal with your sin issue? Are are you turning to the things of the world? Or do you turn your attention to the one who is nearer to you than your own breath? If you want to be free of your sin. I suggest these three things. Focus, notice, and redirect. Just as David's problems were created by a lack of attention to what he was supposed to be doing, our lives can be thrown off course by our own lack of attention. So fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fixing your eyes on Jesus won't make you perfect, I'm sorry about that, but it will enable you to become more aware of his presence so you can notice some things. And as you notice what is happening, as you pay attention to Jesus, let the Holy Spirit make you aware of your apathy or your lack of alignment or your avoidance, your tendencies to do these things that make messes in your lives. And as you focus, ask the Spirit to reveal those things. Ask the Spirit to reveal to you where sin has taken over. And if you're doing that right now, as you notice, right now, what is coming to the surface for you? Anger? Bitterness? Covetousness? Gossip? Lust, selfishness, whatever it is that, that bubbles up for you, redirect it to Jesus. Give your sins to Jesus, the one who paid for your sins on the cross and ascended to the right hand of God the Father so that you can stand justified before God. Those things in the past, those David-like sins, redirect them. To Jesus, your, your guilt and your shame, redirect them to Jesus. Your, your belief that God cannot forgive you, redirect it to Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light i don't care who you are or who you think you are i don't care where you've been or what you've done and here's the truth of the gospel neither does jesus but he does care what you look at focus notice and redirect i think it'll help you pursue god's heart and enable you to look to the one who matters. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you enable us to pay close attention to you that we wouldn't become apathetic, out of alignment, and become enraptured in our tendencies to avoid? Holy Spirit, would you enable us to focus, notice, and redirect all the things to you and god is as we um, come to the beginning of a of a school year um, athletic seasons it's um, we pray that that you would be with all of the students whether they're going to elementary school or they're entering their last year of college i pray holy spirit that you would help them pay close attention to you in all the things and I pray, as the people of Center Point Church, that we would do the same thing, that we would pay close attention uh, to you, to ourselves, and to our sisters and brothers around us. Whether they're grieving, dealing with a diagnosis, um, struggling uh, even to catch their breath, would we pay attention to you, Holy Spirit. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.